Tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. Intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Tuesday, the 15th of November, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson, and here's some news from the book world. In Spain, they're approaching the 30th anniversary of the death of fascist dictator Francisco Franco, Generalissimo Francisco Franco, and a revisionist history book praising Franco is shooting to the top of the bestseller list, is in fact on top of the bestseller list. The book Franco, an historical review by Pio Moa, says that Franco had no choice but to brutally overthrow the duly elected uh, Republican democracy that led to his 40-year reign, in which he, by the way, liquidated tens of thousands of opponents. There was no alternative, Moa writes. Franco should receive the gratitude and recognition of the majority of Spaniards. But Giles Tremlett, in a report for the, the Guardian from Madrid, says that many people in Spain are rejecting Moa's claims. He identifies Moa as a former member of a violent left-wing group and says he's rejected by many professional historians as a pseudo-historian who has found a publishing gold mine as a modern Franco-apologist. Meanwhile, other books about Franco are also flooding Spanish bookstores, including one by Andres Rueda, who says something decidedly different from Moa's book. He claims that Franco's only child, the current Duchess of Franco, was in fact fathered by his brother Ramon because Franco was infertile. Take that, apologists. Meanwhile, a hail and farewell to American novelist David Westheimer, who has died in Los Angeles of heart failure, according to his son Fred. An AP report notes that Westheimer was a prisoner of war during World War II. He was shot down as a B-24 bomber navigator, and he was a prisoner of war in an Italian POW camp for over two years. And that's the experience he based his, probably his most famous book, Von Ryan's Express, upon. It's a story about an American soldier leading POWs out of an Italian POW camp. His other big book was called My Sweet Charlie from 1965, It was a big hit. It was the story of a friendship between a black civil rights activist and a white pregnant teenager. David Westheimer was 88. In England, a suitcase stuffed with a 360,000 word manuscript written by Winston Churchill's personal bodyguard during World War II has been discovered in the attic of a British farmhouse. Detective Inspector Walter Thompson was Churchill's personal bodyguard for 18 years. And as David Smith reports in a story for The Observer out of London, the book details, for example, Churchill's some 20 brushes with death 
including one in which um, a pro-Nazi French Countess Hélène de Portez lunged at Churchill's throat with a knife. Thompson managed to tackle her. Another time when Churchill insisted on witnessing the blitz from the roof of 10 Downing Street, Thompson had to tackle him to save him from shrapnel. Uh, another time they were traveling through Hyde Park when they were confronted by IRA hitmen. And Churchill was ready to take them on. If they want trouble, they can have it, he said. And uh, Thompson tackled them and got them the hell out of there. Thompson broke with Churchill when he wanted to write his memoir in 1945. But as Smith reports, um, the Churchill and the various authorities prevented this and actually threatened his, his pension. They let him put out a heavily censored version of his book called I Was Churchill's Shadow. But that was that. And the full manuscript was thought lost. Until now, when Thompson's grandniece, Linda Stoker, has found it. She calls it a story written from the heart. It's a relationship between two mates, one who's prepared to run the country and one who's prepared to die for it. We'll let you figure out which is which. Smith, meanwhile, reports that one of the most uh, amazing moments in the book is the moment that Thompson describes Churchill getting the news that Adolf Hitler was dead. Quote, he went to a window and looked out, remaining there for some time. I asked him if he thought Hitler had committed suicide. Quite quietly, he replied, that is the way I should have expected him to have died. Later, he added, that is what I should have done under the same circumstances. End quote. At which point, of course, Thompson tackled him. One of the country's most prominent independent bookstores was robbed during a reading on Sunday, the Quail Ridge and Books and Music bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina, was robbed during a reading by Mildred Mamadip Council, who was lecturing on the use of lard in Southern cooking to about 100 fans, according to Sam Legrone, reporting in the Raleigh News and Observer. He says that as Council's audience faced her with their backs to the cash register, a man in a blue jacket with his hand pulled up into his sleeve presented the cashier with a thriller novel and a robbery note. Cashier Nathan Miller was given a note saying, quote, this is a robbery, open the drawer, give me all your 10s and 20s, you're being watched, don't be a hero, and don't fuck this up. Miller didn't, he gave him the money, the robber left, and until store manager Sarah Godden interrupted Mama Dip's question and answer period to tell everybody in the crowd that the police wanted to talk to them. Nobody had any idea they'd been robbed. Owner Nancy Olson stood by the crime scene tape as people filed out afterwards. She assured the mostly older female crowd that Mama Dip would be back to do the book signing portion of the program at a later date. Olson lamented to the News and Observer, quote, Why didn't he go to a Barnes & Noble and rob them? And finally in the news, if you're wondering who the world's greatest writer is, the answer might just be in the newest issue of Harper's Magazine. In an article called You Can Call Me Ill, they list the various names allegedly used by world leaders to refer to Kim Jong-il, the North Korean dictator, this coming from the North Korean state television. Among the titles, some you might expect, such as Supreme Commander at the forefront of the struggle against imperialism in the United States, and some you might not expect, such as Best Leader Who Realized Human Wisdom, 
or leader with extraordinary personality. Another is master of literature, arts, and architecture. Then there's world's best ideal leader with versatile talents. How about master of the computer who surprised the world? Man with encyclopedic knowledge. Heaven-sent hero. Power incarnate with endless creativity. Simply greatest man who ever lived, or even better, present-day God. Or then there's my favorite, eternal bosom of hot love. And finally, yep, you guessed it, world's greatest writer. That's news for today, the 15th of November, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. It's November 15th, and on this day in literary history, the poet Marianne Moore was born in 1887. Moore is one of the most important poets in early American modernism. Her work was formally vigorous, yet she usually shunned rhyme. And in her most famous poem, entitled Poetry, she confessed, I hate it too, though she worked tirelessly for its advancement. She served as editor of the influential literary journal The Dial, bringing early modernist writing to American shores and was beloved by many of her fellow poets, among them Wallace Stevens, William Carlos Williams, H.D., T.S. Eliot, and Ezra Pound. And as editor of The Dial, she encouraged a whole generation of younger poets like Elizabeth Bishop and Allen Ginsberg. Moore became something of a celebrity in New York City. She attended boxing matches, baseball games, and other public events dressed in her signature getup, a tri-corner hat, and a black cape. She particularly liked athletics and athletes, and she threw the first pitch at Yankee Stadium to open the 1968 season. Moore was also a great admirer of the boxer Muhammad Ali. In fact, in his spoken word album, I Am the Greatest, she wrote the liner notes. In 1951, with the publication of her collected poems, Moore hit the literary trifecta, winning the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and the Bollingen Prize. And in 1955, the Ford Motor Company, no doubt looking for some of that Moore magic, asked her to help them name a new car model they were developing. Moore submitted a list of her suggestions, which included the Intelligent Whale, the Utopian Turtletop, the Pastelogram, and the Mongoose Civique. The car company decided not to use any of Marianne Moore's suggestions and instead named their new car the Edsel. I'm Valerie Marians, and that's this day in literary history. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. It might have been a tempest in a teapot, but what a tempest if you were in that teapot when Alan Cordell first came to fame. He came to fame not as Alan Cordell, but as Foetry.com. Nobody knew who it was, how many it was, but what it was was a website that purported to out-corrupt poetry publications and prizes. And as you might imagine, hell hath no fury like a poet, especially an academic poet, pissed off. Cordell was eventually outed 
by a rather rigorous opponent who managed to track down his identity through the registration of his website. And a controversy ensued as he was continuously interviewed and given even more press. It's been a few months since then, though. Many poets have fallen, many contests have fallen, or have they? We tracked down Alan Cordell to his home in Portland to see if he was still at it. As it turned out, he was. We have Alan Cordell on the phone from Portland, Oregon, although you may know him better as that poetry guy. Alan, you started poetry, what, two, three years ago? It's actually only been about a year and a half. A year and a half, but a lot has happened in that time. You made a practice of discussing uh, poets that you called poets who were actually working against mother poetry by running corrupt uh, contests and publications and the like. All hell broke loose. You were doing this anonymously and eventually were outed. That kind of brings everybody up to speed, I think. But what have you been up to since that rather traumatic event when you were, when you were outed uh, by uh, one of the poets? Well, um, I kept the site up and running, mm-hmm. and I thought that it was important not to abandon the site at that point because I do believe in the cause. And despite a couple of threats of legal action, nothing ever materialized. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, hey, the site's going to stand on its own, and now there's a lot more people who are assisting me with it, mm-hmm. so it's not as much of a time drain. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I think it's making some important changes mm-hmm. now. Do you still find yourself getting as many visitors at the site? Are you still hearing from uh, getting as many tips as you were? Well, I, I, I will admit that the visitors, the number of visitors has gone down, mm-hmm. but it's still averaging to be about 300 unique visitors per day, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty is pretty good. It was. At, at its peak, I would say it was about a thousand per day, mm-hmm. and yeah, the tips are still coming in. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, within since since my outing, since I've been known by my name, the uh, Cleveland State University sponsored a contest in which the judge picked her former student, and um, I'm trying to think. It, there was at least one other blatant misuse of of a judge mm-hmm. and. Um, in a contest situation. I can't remember what that was, but that was one that sticks out pretty much because the um, the judge actually got in a dialogue with me about it and tried to justify why she did it, mm-hmm. and Cleveland State representative-type people tried to write back and forth with me and do the same, mm-hmm. and um, they stuck, stuck to their guns, and they awarded the prize to a former student of uh-huh. the judge. Uh-huh. Well, one of the most spectacular poetry cases um, that actually led to to a remarkable event uh, had to do with the University of Georgia Press Poetry Prize, which had been for 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 years run by Rim Banky. I'm sorry, Rin Banky. If I got that right, uh, Ben Ramke. <laughs> <laughs> ben Ramke. My apologies to to Mr. Ramke, and. Um, uh, it was it was it was a contest that was judged by Jory Graham, one of our most prestigious poets, and apparently she wound up selecting a manuscript for that prize 
that was written by uh, her soon-to-be husband at that time. That's correct. And uh, all hell broke loose over that. There were there were New York Times reports, there were Boston Globe reports, and to make a long story short, she's no longer judging poetry contests, and the series judge retired after years on the job. That was a pretty spectacular case. Have you had um, any other results that even come close to that in the last few months? One of the one of the uh, contests that, that I was hoping that that would happen with is called the Vassar Miller Prize, and it's run by a poet by the name of Scott Cairns, at, and he's at the University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And the, the press that publishes the books that are the prize win- the so-called prize winners in that contest, is, I believe, University of, um, University of North Texas, which is where he taught at one time, and he just brought the contest with him as he moved a new institution, but um, I, I uncovered, and, and with the help of other people on the site, uncovered that he has a pattern of either allowing the judge judges to award the prize to their own friends, or in most cases, the final winners were his own friends, Scott Cairn's own friends, and in fact, the most recent winner of that is a poet by the name of Michael White, who I know, mm-hmm. and who is, in fact, one another contest through um, being awarded by Mark Strand, the poet Mark Strand. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the strangest thing about that one is that I was involved with that many, many years ago when I heard Michael White told me that Mark Strand was going to select his book for the National Poetry Series. And I thought, well, that's interesting because they haven't even started accepting manuscripts yet. (laughs) So I complained... Um, other people complained, and they were kicked out of the series that year. Uh-huh. In the following year, Mark Strand awarded the Colorado Prize to none other than Michael White. So they were back. They were back. And then now, Scott Cairns has allowed Michael White to enter and win the Vassar Miller Prize. And they were students together with Michael White at the University of Utah. Uh-huh. So it's still happening. Scott Cairns has been posting on the site and agreed to step down from the series. And then the next thing we know, someone writes into the site and says, hey, the, the guidelines just came out again, and Scott Cairns is, is the administrator. Mm-hmm. So I think he either misled us, or I don't know what he's doing, but he is still intends to keep running this series, and it has a, a very sad history. Mm-hmm. And yet it does seem that you're having some influence, or at least they're... They're reacting to some extent, although although not for long. They, they, they step out of prizes, but then step back. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, <coughs> that it's eventually going to take some sort of legal action to get this to stop, and I think it would probably only take one person or one, one settlement of some kind to make it happen, and I think all the other presses would clean up their acts pretty quickly. And what's the likelihood of that? I think people are getting very frustrated. Um, I can't talk too much about that, but I think I think poets and publishers and universities especially should be on their guard right now. Mm-hmm. And that's as much as you can say about that? Yeah, unfortunately right now, yes. Okay. Let's move on to another aspect of this that was the subject of some chatter at the time, which was the fact that your wife is a poet who... Um, had been in, Was she involved with the Georgia Prize? Or? She did win the Georgia Prize. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, that's kind of a, a strange 
connection to all of that because that was her first book. And um, Ben that Ramke. was pre poetry, though, right? Um, yes, it was a long time ago. I believe it was almost ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And we were married at the time. And in fact, I was the one that took the call from Ben Ramke when he when he called to tell her that she had won and mm-hmm. she was not home. Mm-hmm. So I have spoken with him before. Mm-hmm. Um, he called and said, well, you know, is your wife there, Kathleen Halmy? And I said, no. And he said, well, this is Ben Ramke. And I recognized his name. I had read some of his poetry and liked it, actually. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm calling to offer her a, a publication contract. She's won the series. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember saying, this is incredible news, and you couldn't award this to someone more deserving. Mm-hmm. And then they finally caught up and talked. And But anyway, yes, um, she was one of the winners. The, she had not ever met Ben Ramke, and the judge who selected her book is Dave Smith, and she had never met him either. Mm-hmm. So there were some years when the contest was run fairly. Mm-hmm. But um, Georgia, in fact, I'm still having a little bit of a tussle with them. They want over $2,000 right now for what I call open records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to me, it seems like they're only making freedom of information requests available to the very wealthy. What, what are the records in question? I'm, I'm looking for all of the correspondence between Ben Ramke, the judges, the winners, for the entire history of the series, which is, is over 20 years. And you believe that should be available to you because... Because it's part of the University of Georgia's records. And it's and, a public um, institution. It is a public institution. Where we need to know, as, as, you know, as citizens of the United States, as far as, you know, we, we have certain rights, at least right now, that may be changing. But, um, and, and part of that is that we should be able to see how that money was collected and spent over the years. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that about a half a million dollars was collected in that series. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know how things were decided. Mm -hmm. If I can go back just for a moment to the personal side of things, I I, I know that at the time this was discussed in the press, and and you had mentioned it in some interviews, I heard that this was a very difficult thing for your wife to deal with. She was unhappy about poetry. Can you tell me if she's happier about it now? Um, I would never use the word happy (laughs) 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 to describe how she feels about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I never never understood it during the time that I was running the site anonymously and before I even started it, and I I still can't really get my mind around the idea that she thinks that this is the the single most um, contentious or difficult time that we've ever had in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, <laughs> there's many, many other times that were, were harder. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we have a bad relationship, because I think we have an actually, uh, actually a pretty great relationship. Sure. But um, she, she is still hurt and angry. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, to make these. Um, but... Um, it, unfortunately, I don't know how this is going to affect her career, mm-hmm. and, and I think one way that would would sort of make things better is if she had a publisher for her current manuscript, and mm-hmm. she doesn't, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Do you think poetry has, has had an impact on uh, her chances? Um, I'd like to think that there are some 
some publishers, some poets, editors out there who would think of poetry as a positive thing and would maybe think that my wife should should get sort of a second look. Mm-hmm. Should be I'm not asking for any special favors or anything, but I I think that she doesn't she doesn't work the system at all. Mm-hmm. She has very few poet friends and um I I think that it's it's just kind of difficult for her to put herself out there and I yeah. think that's such a huge part of the poetry world. Well, it seems like that's part of the poetry world. Too, yeah. If I'm not mistaken that there is a system to deal with. <laughs> um well, I appreciate your candor on those matters. Let me move on and and ask you about your latest um, um I don't want know if I want to call it a battle, but I understand you're having somewhat of a tussle with amazon.com. Would you fill me in on that? Yeah, I'm I'm as you might gather from my poetry uh, doings, <laughs> I do have kind of a, a little consumer advocate streak in me, and I, I have in the past uh, gone to battle with Northwest Airlines, for example. One time they did me wrong, and I sued them and, and won a very small settlement. It was just the amount of some airline tickets in dispute. But, it, you know, I, I, I don't like to put up with instances when I feel like there's been some sort of injustice. And with Amazon... What's happened is there is a fellow by the name of Peter Yumi, and I believe he he no longer lives there, but used to live in Denver. is married to a poet, and is also has also published in Denver Quarterly, which is edited by Ben Ramke that we have been talking about. And he was an early poster on the poetry site long, within the first month that it was up and running, and he says, anyone who spends this much energy complaining has issues. Perhaps you should spend some time and energy getting over the fact that your mother never liked your poems about sailboats. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's it's cute and funny, but what he doesn't know at that time is that I'm not a poet. Mm-hmm. I don't have these issues that he seems to think that I have. I'm just looking for fairness in the whole poetry mm-hmm. contest system. And well, there, there's, some, there's some extra middle level of... of of criticism there where someone is, is criticizing you for, for being a critic. Um, you know what I mean? They're, 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 they're taking the time to criticize you for taking the time to be a critic. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, so is he a poet himself? Uh, not that I know of. I believe he's some sort of a photographer, performance artist type. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife just won a contest that I've called into question before. Mm-hmm which is the Sawtooth Prize at Boise State University. I see. And um, so he... So he's sensitive. He's uh, very actually sensitive. Actually in a similar <laughs> position to you, artistically sensitive, married to a poet, and dealing with poetry contests. Yes, and, and, and I can understand that. But um, what he... His latest campaign is that he was upset when he learned that I had created an Amazon list. And, and for your listeners who maybe don't know, Amazon allows you the ability to create a list of books or authors that have some sort of a central theme. And you can write short little statements about each book and encourage people to read them and buy them. Mm-hmm. So I created a list of books by poets, and that's not poets, but poets. Mm-hmm. And, and my list was certainly nothing, you know, groundbreaking or especially cruel or anything. Well, I just picked up... Can you give us an example? Well, um... 
The first person on my list, of course, is Jory Graham. Of course. And excuse me, whenever I say her name, I need to take a drink of water. <laughs> um, no, that's a bad joke. Anyway, um, Jory Graham, I listed her most recent book, Overlord, and I said, America's Queen Foet is the overlord of American poetry. I don't think that's... Th- that's the full extent of what you wrote. Not especially cruel. Uh-huh. Um, the second one on my list is by someone who visited the poetry site named Laura Mullen, mm-hmm. who she visited it a number of times using her own name to try to argue that uh, she won her contest fairly and through her the judge's aesthetic aesthetic affiliations. Mm-hmm. So I said, quote, her aesthetic affiliations really paid off. This book's <laughs> a winner, and I put winner in quotes. And so you get the idea. I was being a little sarcastic, but nothing horrible or cruel Mm -hmm. and Peter Yumi's wife was not even on the list but he encouraged people from his weblog to visit Amazon and complain about my horrible use of list mania technology Mm -hmm. did he provide um, uh, information as to how to complain or who to complain to? I believe he linked directly to Amazon's complaint area Mm -hmm. and and I did get a lot of traffic I noticed that it told me on Amazon how many times my list mania list had been read and it, it shot up pretty pretty significantly right after he did that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how Meaning many people... Meaning you think that Amazon was looking at it? Or? I think maybe they did once or twice mm-hmm. but um, finally it just disappeared. Mm-hmm. They never contacted me and... The you list mean, you mean the list was taken down? Yes, it was. And so I wrote to them and I said, what's going on? Um, why is my list gone? And they wrote back to me and said, let's see here, I've I've got it in front of me, I'm sorry. Please allow me to apologize for the frustration this has caused. In researching your question, we've been unable to find the list mania list that you mentioned. At this time, we can only suggest that you start a new list. And that was after I sent them three, they wanted to know three books that were on the list, so I provided those titles. Mm -hmm. And then they said they just couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. Well, I did a search on Google, and my list mania list appeared on Google. Mm -hmm. And when I clicked on it, it said the list is not available. Mm -hmm. So I sent them that link. Mm -hmm. It's funny how quickly I could find it, but they couldn't find (laughs) it, even though it was (laughs) their list. Mm -hmm. So I wrote and said, you know, I hope you'll reconsider it. I've I've gained a lot of media attention. I told them a little bit about poetry and who I was, and I said removing my list would not be a smart move for Mm Amazon.com. Well, then they found the list, and they wrote to tell me that my list mania list was removed because of inappropriate content. We encourage all voices to respond openly in our store, both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. However, we do exert some editorial control over our customer reviews. Please understand that we wholeheartedly support the right to free speech. Our intention is to make the customer review forum a place for commentary and feedback about titles. So discussions that criticize authors and their intentions are removed. Mm -hmm. Your comments were, in part, directed toward the authors and their character. Mm -hmm. What I can suggest is that you resubmit your review, but restrict your comments to critically analyzing the content of the title. Thank you for your cooperation. Best regards, Tara M, Mm -hmm. Amazon.com customer service. Mm -hmm. So what do you do now? Well, I'm canceling my Amazon.com account, Mm -hmm. for starters, Mm -hmm. and I'm 
encouraging all visitors to Foetry.com to use Powell's.com. <laughs> Powell's.com I like for a number of reasons. One is um, they're a local bookstore for me. They're here in Portland, Oregon. They are a union shop, and I'm a member of a union. In fact, I'm the publicist for my union. And I also... Alan, I'm not shocked to hear that you're a publicist. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of one of my side jobs I don't talk about quite as much, uh -huh. but <laughs> it, it's come in handy a number of times to have a little bit of that skill. And then also with Powell's, it's, it's an independent bookstore, and it's the world's largest independent bookstore, so you can go to their website and get anything that you'd be able to get at Amazon.com. Plus, they're able to provide used copies of books, and, and I like that as well. Well, so you had uh, no further recourse with Amazon. They took your list down and denied that it existed. Then <laughs> somehow you persuaded them that it did exist, but they are telling you that you were just too personal in your attacks, calling uh, uh, Jury Graham the overlord of American publishing is a... Uh, of American poetry is too too personal, right? And so uh, that's it. You can't uh, you can't do anything more as far as Amazon is concerned. Well, I think things like talking with you about it mm -hmm. and <laughs> just getting the word out there that while they wholeheartedly support free speech, um, they'll yank your list at the drop of a you know <laughs> mm -hmm. drop of a pen. Mm -hmm. I, I just I have a real problem with that kind of of censorship and especially. In the idea, you know, in the context of America, as as we are as a country right now, it's it's so dangerous to not be able to to prevent people from speaking out. Mm -hmm. And and the more we go in that direction, I think um, I think it's becoming a really it's a scary world. Alan, it doesn't sound like poetry is slowing down any at all. Well, um, I'm, I'm trying to spend less time on it myself, and I have some really wonderful, great people who are kind of taking over the back end of it and, and doing a lot of work for me. It's all volunteer, mm -hmm. and I hope we'll keep going until, until something happens, until things change. Alan Cordell, Poetry.com. Thanks a lot for coming on MobyLives.com. Thanks a lot, Dennis. I really appreciate it. And that's Moby Liz Radio for the 15th of November, 2005. Thanks to Alan Cordell for coming on to the program. And thanks, too, to engineer Andrew Steinmetz, as well as the crew at Melville House, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marion. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show, in which Doris gets her oats, and British book blogger Mark Thwaite, he's the proprietor of Ready Steady Book, comes on to tell us, about the book that's causing such a fuss in the UK right now. Until then, don't forget, that whale is out there, man. Bésame Bésame mucho Como si fuera esta noche la última vez Bésame Bésame mucho Que tengo miedo perderte, perderte otra vez Bésame, 
Perderte, perderte otra vez 